Thank you. Thank you, choir. It's good to have you here. Uh, if you're wondering what this is, uh, it's a Navy uniform. And uh, I uh, did come to Christ in the United States Navy. And uh, the title of the message this morning is called, uh, Who Will Lead? In fact, Lee Iacocca, who was the past guru and president of uh, Chrysler Corporation, built uh, Chrysler from, like, in the negative to this incredibly successful uh, car maker. And he wrote a book. It's called, Where Have All the Leaders Gone? Is that not a good question? So um, we're going to look at that in the context of the scripture that you have on the front of your bulletin. And uh, it is a joy to have you here this morning. As you may or may not know, I came to Christ in the United States Navy. And uh, I went through the Navy flight program. Uh, it was a pretty interesting experience. Uh, actually, I could have worn my whites. And had I done that, you might have thought I was a bellboy. Uh, <laughs> In fact, that's actually what happened. I was in the Navy choir. We sang the Naval Aviation uh, Choir from Pensacola, Florida. We were singing in Philadelphia, uh, actually on the Mike Douglas show. Remember that guy? Really old. And uh, our choir was on there. Thirty guys that had never, you know, I mean, acapella. And uh, we're sitting there in the lobby of the Adelphia Hotel. And I have my little white uh, thing on with the black pants, a little cummerbund, you know, bow tie. And a lady came up to me and she said, uh, uh, would you carry my, my luggage, please? And I said, uh, well, are you a good tipper? <laughs> she thought I was a bellboy. So I said, sure, if you give me a good tip. And <laughs> anyway, this is a, a Navy uniform. And um, I'll tell you a little bit more about my history. And then, as we know, it's Memorial Day. And by the way, if you are a veteran here today, could you stand? Would you stand? We'd like to honor you. Uh, just stand where you are if you've served in the military. Thank you so much. We appreciate you an awful lot. Thank you. Uh, if you didn't know, Memorial Day is uh, where we celebrate and remember those uh, veterans from the Civil War on that gave their lives in the, uh, to give you freedom, frankly. And so that's what it's all about. I know it's kind of a fun time to go out and get sunburned and, you know, go to Chatfield and get run over by a ski-doo. But there's more to it than that we thought you'd like to know. My um, background uh, is that I graduated from the University of Wisconsin-Madison in 1966, and I was recruited through Glenview, Illinois, and uh, three days afterwards, uh, I was doing push-ups on the direction of the Marines. And that's quite a transition for me from the long-haired guy to no hair. <laughs> and uh, 11 weeks later, I was uh, commissioned as an ensign. So the Marine drill instructor uh, that beat on me and was next to God suddenly uh, has to initiate his salute to me, which was quite awkward. Every time I saw him, I would still brace the bulkhead, you know. <laughs> for those in the military, they'll understand. You're like... And then I went through... Um, the, uh, the program, it was uh, a year and a half of training in the T-34, the T-28, uh, including carrier qualifications. And uh, then you, after that, after 200 hours uh, in fixed wing, you go either jets, multi-engine, or helicopters. I chose helicopters because I thought, you know, gosh, what happens if you get lost? Well, in a helicopter, you can land at a gas station and get a map. 
And uh, you can't do that in an F4 or an F8, and uh, certainly not in a... Well, anyway, so uh, that's why I chose helicopters. And as it turned out, it was a great match for me uh, because what we did uh, was search and rescue. And uh, why Memorial Day is particularly special to me and, uh, is that uh, I personally lost 63 uh, guys that I knew. Um, and I was looking through the losses. Actually, Ronald Reagan put it quite well. The uh, late President Ronald Reagan said, when a soldier dies, he really gives up two lives. The one that he lost on the battlefield and the one he could have lived. The right to be a father, to get married, to have children, to be a grandfather, to enjoy your grandkids, to retire, I guess, and drive off in your Winnebago into the sunset. I guess that's the American dream. Well, 63 guys I know didn't have that. They lost two lives that day. I was in a helicopter crash. You probably have heard about that one where a 26-year-old guy died in my arms in the water. And a 19-year-old swimmer was lost in 70 fathoms, 490 feet, went down, buried at sea. They never had a shot after that. The Enterprise, there were 28 guys that were killed, uh, 343 seriously burned. There's a price to be paid. Uh, uh, among the flight program, I lost 23 friends. On the Enterprise, I lost 36 people, including pilots that were shot down over Vietnam. Uh, off of the Ariskany, my second cruise, I lost, there were only four pilots that were killed, but many of our missions were far more dangerous, but we saved a lot more. 63 guys just want you to know there's a price to be paid, and they're paying it in Iraq today and in Afghanistan. If you appreciate, give a, a vet a hug <laughs> or something. In the meantime, we're not here to talk about veterans. We're talk, here to talk about leadership. <clears throat> and uh, I learned in the military about leadership. Some of the finest men that I've ever flown with and met were military and in the military, you'll understand that leadership rotates around followership. But if that's the only measure of, uh, is followership, then you might say Adolf Hitler was a great leader because a lot of people followed him. Osama bin Laden, incredible leader. Uh, Arafat got the Nobel Peace Prize. That was weird. So we have a lot of terrorists and people with questionable activity having a lot of followership. So... It's more than followership. It has to be then, could you ask the question, as I will of you, who is the greatest leader that you've ever met? And I would venture to say the greatest leader I ever met, I met in the Philippines in 1970. His name is Jesus Christ. We're going to look at him today and try to answer that question, who will lead? I think Leiacocca has a pretty good book. Where have all the leaders gone? Let's take a look at it. And I'd like you to stand, if you would, um, and uh, read with me on the front of your bulletin. By the way, there's a quote from an incredibly phenomenal thinker. And it says, leadership is learned by people who first have followed a great leader. The question is, have you found a great leader to follow? I'm going to challenge you with the greatest. 
Would you read with me Luke 9 and uh, 23 to 25 on the front of your bulletin? And in that are found three tests that would test you as well as me uh, as to who is a great leader. And here they come. Read with me, would you? Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I'm sorry. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that you would teach us this morning, instruct us in the way we should go, and that you would counsel us with your eye upon us, and that we would understand the tests but the qualities of leadership critical in the world in which we live today, particularly critical in the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, if you would. Well, you might uh, see that the outline actually is quite simple, and we're going to go through it as we look at the temptations of Christ. It's, it's, it's one thing for a leader to lead in good times. It's another for them to lead uh, in the midst of great adversity. Some of the greatest uh, guys that I admire massively in the military are guys that led during extremely difficult times. And uh, that's so I'm going to give you a little outline of where we're going. And uh, out of Luke chapter 23 comes the first characteristic of leadership, which is identity. You and I will be tested as to what is our identity. Who are you? Jesus himself was asked that question. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Do you know? Do you have an identity? Or is the world in which you and I live shaping that identity and we have no idea who we are? He said, come, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself, your selfishness, and follow me. The second area, uh, I just want to highlight it on your bulletin. He says, whoever wants to save his life, this has to do with authority. Who's in charge? If you're in charge, then you save your life, you'll lose it. <laughs> that makes sense. But if you let me be in charge, then you'll find it. And finally, the third issue that we're going to address this morning concerning Christ is uh, that of responsibility. What's my purpose? Why am I here? And uh, the, the, the question is, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the world? Are you here uh, to make a lot of money and achieve a lot of stuff and wear a lot of medals, or is there more? If that's it, then you've gained the whole world, but you've lost the most critical part, and that's your soul. That's your responsibility. Who's, what am I here for? Well, I can't think of a better place to look at uh, and deal with these issues than the temptation of Christ. And so uh, I'll read, and you can follow along. And then we're going to look at those three issues. Identity, authority, responsibility. Chapter 4 of Matthew starts like this. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the desert to be tempted. That was the whole point of it. By the devil, the big boy. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah, understatement of century. Actually, if you fast after a while, your body gets used to it. Forty days is a long time, and he'd slimmed down quite a bit, probably drank some water, but it's hungry. Well, makes sense. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Here's his response. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What do we got going on here? Well, we have uh, an issue that's critical to the person of Christ. It is very, the very issue that's essential. Is he the Messiah or is he not? The term son of God is simply the exact representation of God. Are you the son of God? Are you the exact reputation, uh, representation of God himself? The exact image? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? If you are, you see that? If you are the son of God, well, tell these stones. Tell these stones to become bread. Feed yourself. Uh, we would call this mental alchemy. It, it's done. Actually, uh, psychics can do this. It's called buti. They can make out of nothing something appear in their hands. It's called, like, manna. <laughs> pretty cool. I mean, pretty amazing. Well, I guess Christ could have done that, but he didn't. Do you see what's happening here? It says, prove to me. Satan is saying to God, prove to me if by doing what I say. In fact, I'm asking you to deny your identity and take on mine. Do you really know who you are? Do you really know why you're here? Well, prove it. Isn't that the way it comes at us? Identity. Who are you? Uh, who gives you identity? Uh, does your, the world in which you live, is that it exclusively that your identity? Hello, my name is George Kristen. I'm an alcoholic. AA, have you ever been there? No. Is that my identity? A bottle of booze? Think about that. What is your identity? It seems like Jesus knew who he was. In fact, he was attempted in, uh, uh, at the most vulnerable point in his life. Hungry. So the appeal always of the evil one is to uh, appeal to our basic need. You know, food, clothing, sex, basic stuff that we feel we need water, air. <laughs> the response of my identity, your identity, what is it? Jesus would say, and he did, he said, man does not live by bread alone. I.e., I have physical needs. Uh, I, have, I am the son of man. I'm also the son of God. I have a, uh, all of this is true. I can be tempted, and that, that looks like an appealing thing. I'd like to eat. I'm hungry. But I don't live by bread alone. That's not the reason I exist. My identity doesn't rotate around my physical needs. It rotates around something far larger. And it rotates around my obedience to God the Father. That's my identity. That's who I am. And that's what will allow me and enable me to carry out the plan that he has for me as the Son of God. I'm just validating to you who I am. I know who I am. Well... At the Veterans Administration, of which I guess I'm one of their nutcases, uh, I have post-traumatic stress disorder, except I think you all do too. And they say, don't ever let yourself get, and they use the term halt. Don't ever let yourself get too H-hungry. Don't ever let yourself get too angry. Don't ever let yourself get too lonely. Don't ever let yourself get too tired. Believe me, when those four things line up, and they certainly did with Christ, you are as vulnerable as it gets. 
Jesus said, uh, it is written. Could you say that? Are you familiar enough with this book? Do you know the scripture? Is the scripture uh, the sword of the spirit, the word of God that you actually do warfare with? Or it's something that maybe uh, the book is uh, collecting dust. In the world in which you and I live, live, if you do not know or uh, the Scripture, and I'm not indicting you, I am simply saying then get to know it. Because it is the ultimate weapon that Christ used again and again and again. So if he used it, don't you think we need to? Well, so here we go. It is written. I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So my obedience is to God the Father, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and his word. That simple? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Karl Marx. My identity, then, is not found in proving myself. I don't have to prove myself to anyone, specifically you, Satan. I already know who I am. My identity is found in denying myself. If you would deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, that's where my identity is because I'm doing that to show you what it means to be obedient to the Father. And it's just that simple. Uh, That which appeals to me and my flesh and the world in which I live certainly looks good, except there's a bigger issue. My identity is far deeper than that. Far deeper. There's a gal I met uh, at, at Rocky Mountain Harley-Davidson, and uh, she said, hey, on TV I hear these guys, they say, well, you know, she's not a believer. And she said, well, the guy I hear on TV, this Christian guy says, if I send him 100 bucks, uh, God will pay for my condominium. And I, I, I said, well, what do you think about that? Is that, a, is, that a, is that a pretty deep God? I mean, you, in a sense, uh, plunk down your 100 bucks and you get a free condominium? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to? I'd go for that, wouldn't you? But what kind of God do you have now? You have a God that has to bow to you. That's a pretty shallow God, as far as I'm concerned. Wouldn't you say there's a little more to God? What if he gave you your very identity? And that enabled you to go through every storm and get stronger. Think about that. Well... I take my marching order, Jesus said, from my commanding officer, Jesus Christ said, I take my uh, my marching orders from God himself. In fact, the first mark of a great leader, as best as I can see, in modeled by Jesus Christ, is obedience to God and his word. Could it be that simple? I believe so. Let me uh, give you an example. Uh, There's a Dr. Kennedy who wrote two books. One's called, um, What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? And the other is entitled, What if the Bible had never been written? Now, here's just a couple of things that the message of God and his word have impacted and you and I take for granted. One, Christ and civilization. Believe it or not, the message of the Old and New Testaments has been the ultimate impact on world history. Also, uh, the idea of being created in the image of God is the whole foundational precept from which we learn the value of human life. Other societies don't see it that way, and you might see uh, the fruit of that. Compassion and mercy, helping the poor, where did that come from? Do you see other civilizations as they follow their God doing this? Education for everyone. 
the whole educational system came out of the Judeo-Christian uh, background. Government, the government you and I uh, find, and through which we have our liberties and can say anything we want, I guess. Founding of America, freedom for all, civil liberties, even science. If you look at the great uh, scientists, many of them had, had placed their trust and faith in Christ. Economics, uh, the whole system of uh, economics, the, uh, the beauty of sexuality. Uh, these are chapters he's covering. Uh, the impact of sexuality on the family and why the family unit was always intended to be the building block of God's kingdom. Uh, health and medicine. My daughter-in-law, Camise, got her uh, degree in nursing from CU, sat in the sun and roasted to death while she got it. But that whole concept of nursing, science and education comes out of the word of God and the person of Christ. That's where it comes from. Why? Our people move to do this. And so Dr. Kennedy is simply painting a history of the people that have had an impact on the society in which I live today. Uh, music, morality, lives change. How do you explain those? The church, the last 21 years, I have seen lives transformed. People out of every walk of life, every imaginable sin possible, and God grabs their heart and changes them where the prison system can't where counseling can't, do you just discredit that and, and toss it? What, you know, maybe we're so open-minded our brains have fallen out. I think we might be. What would happen if the Christian uh, influence was removed? Some believe truly that there's a rapture and uh, all the Christian influence is gone. And the world will say, good riddance, I'm glad they're gone. What will this world look like, though? Have you ever thought about it? Paul said, follow me then as I follow Christ. Pretty good advice. Second issue is authority. Who's in charge? Well, let's go back to Jesus. Uh, we'll read Luke, um, the next temptation. This is, uh, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, there it goes again. He said, throw yourself down. For it is written. Now that... Satan is using the scripture. I, I, he knows it better than you do. He says he will command his angels concerning you. He's quoting Psalm 91. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to a test. What's going on? They are on the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, the highest point, And Satan uh, is attempting to say, you know, the scripture says, if you just, you know, throw yourself off the edge, uh, the angels will certainly come and deliver you. So, you know, why not? Um, except we have a problem here. There's actually a book written by a professor. I, I don't know if he's still there. He was at Oral Roberts University. Charles Farrar wrote a book called From the Pinnacle of the Temple, subtitled Faith or Presumption. Faith or Presumption. Well, what's going on here is that Satan says, says, if you are the son of God, then take authority. You take authority. Tell the angels, go ahead, jump. <laughs> and then he'll come and pick you up. Why don't you demonstrate it? Let's, let's, see, let's see you prove it once again. Um, by the way, he took the scripture uh, out of context. Uh, Psalm 91, he left out a pretty important part of that scripture 
This is the part he left out. Would you like to know? If you make the most high your dwelling. You see, Jesus knew all the scripture. And, and uh, if you make the most high your dwelling, <laughs> that is to say, you trust God even if things don't work out, God's going to come through. He will always come through. But the first part is to have him be Lord, i.e. not only obedience. So here's Christ's response. He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And the response when authority is questioned, who's in charge here, is the word reverence. I know who's in charge. My father's in charge. He is the sovereign one. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth. He's the one that spun it all into space. I was there too, and I'm trusting him. I don't have to listen to you. I don't have to prove myself, and I don't have to presume upon my God. I don't have to put words in his mouth that he has never said. I can let him demonstrate he's good enough. He can handle it on his own. Excuse me. Second mark of uh, good leadership, outstanding leadership, in fact, the best leader I've ever known, is reverence. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to reverence, that is, I'm going to uh, place God the Father as my ultimate authority. So that's why in the scripture you read this morning, it says, if you want to save your life, Jesus said, you'll lose it. Well, the way you save your life is you're in charge. (laughs) You're the one that calls the shot. I mean, do unto others before they do it to you. You know, don't get mad, get even. Uh, I don't read that at all. Um, The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How has that been perverted through the centuries and through our culture? So, don't presume upon God. I don't have to. If he's God, he's going to part the waters, and that's what I'm counting on. As a leader, (laughs) believe me, this church has gone through 21 years of incredible mistakes. We've made more mistakes than any governmental agency ever has made. And you know what? It's a tribute to the sovereignty and the goodness and the majesty of God. Because as one person said, George, sometimes this church is so goofy that we're not quite sure why it gets anything done other than God must be in it. (laughs) He is. God is in it. I'm glad. I I hope you're glad because he's trying to show us what it truly means. And we are sorely lacking in the world in which you and I live. Where have all the leaders gone? Maybe they're looking in all the wrong places. Could be. But if you're willing to lose your life, i.e. allow God and Christ to be your authority, that's where you will find it and you will find it for the first time. Last area that we'll address, responsibility. What's my purpose? Am I here just to sit, soak, and sour? You know, (laughs) hang out and live off the fat of the land? What's my purpose? So this is the last temptation of Christ. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This time he left the the city (laughs) and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Now, notice he doesn't start out with, if you are the son of God, didn't do it this time. He says, all this I will give you. Look at it all. Just just look at it. Wow. All of this. Yours. If the price is right. All of it. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. 
For it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the, the devil left him. <laughs> the angels came and attended as if the, the devil gave up, but he didn't quit. So responsibility. I think this is one of the most outrageous temptations of all. It's the very issue of Jesus had to examine why am I here to begin with? I know who I am, identity. I know who's in charge. God the Father is. But the biggest issue of all is will you carry through with your purpose, your mission? What was the mission of the Messiah? And the mission of the Messiah, if I were to put it in my terminology, is to get every person on the face of the earth to switch kingdoms. You and I, before we have come to embrace Christ, live in the kingdom of man. And his appeal is that I have gone to the cross. I offer you forgiveness. I offer you freedom. I offer you a brand new life. All predicated upon my finished work on the cross. What if he didn't do it? That was the issue. So Satan says, look at all the kingdoms. And Jesus said, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> I'm not interested in the kingdoms of this world. I'm only interested in uh, reaching out to the people that they might switch kingdoms and come into the kingdom of God. And uh, he willingly paid the price. And so he says, um, get thee behind me, Satan. I am not going to allow anyone. I don't have to prove myself. I do not have to presume upon God. And certainly I know my purpose to the point where you will not derail me, Satan, or anyone else. I am on with the mission and the purpose and the plan for which God designed me. How about you? And he came up with devotion. I know my purpose. Jesus, in the scripture you have on the front of your bullets, and said, what would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Here's the whole world. Let's say you were so successful. You graduate from high school, Dakota Ridge, out of which you go to this incredible CU, out of which you make uh, all the money in the world, and you own it all, and you are the guy that, and the gal that owns it all, and you're the success of Mr. Success. Jesus would say, what would it profit you if you had all that, that lost your soul? And as far as his, econ uh, his economy is concerned, he would say your soul is of greater value than all of this. I didn't come for the kingdoms of this world. I came for your soul. The exchange rate on your soul is my life. My life is priceless. Therefore, you're priceless. So my identity does not rotate around a Navy pilot. I love it. I, I, I consider myself fortunate to be here today. My identity doesn't rotate around being a pastor of a church. My identity doesn't rotate around anything I have or don't have. My identity, your identity, your authority, your responsibility is I am priceless because I am seen that way through the finished work of Christ on the cross. And when I go to the Veterans Administration and I tell them this, they say, can't believe that you are still you know, walking around making sense with all the experiences you had. And they say, it must be your faith. <laughs> yeah, it is. My faith is so simple. I just say, Lord, I need you today. And thank you for being there for me. Could it be that simple? I believe so. And I believe this is where leadership is. If Christ is exalted in this church, then he is a leader. 
And God has provided a lot of good leadership in this church. The staff, the elders. I've never seen them more quality than I see them today. But these are what we aspire to. Obedience. We aspire to reverence of God. And we aspire to devotion. And believe me, let's just think of the impact on every church. Think of the impact on the nation. Think of the impact on your family. Think of the impact on you as an individual. So, we have two kingdoms playing out here, and with this I will close. The question that I ask you is, who will lead? And the challenge here is to look at this. If you lead, then uh, you put yourself at the top of the heap. That is, says, I will lead, therefore my identity rotates around what I do, and, and as good as I am, and man has done incredible things on the face of the earth, Frankly, in his own strength. The church has been incredible in its own strength. The authority is me. I'm the final authority. You know, I slice and dice. (laughs) And responsibility, I'm responsible to me. I'm responsible to build a nice retirement fund so that I can drive off in my Winnebago. And or, you know, retire at the age of 35 or 40. (laughs) Seems like the American dream. And I don't know if you notice the leading uh, letters, but I will find myself traveling in a kingdom of lies. I have to. Whether I'm in the church, whether I'm at home, whether I'm at uh, business or at school, I have to travel in lines. I got a big kick out of the uh, movie Liar, Liar. You know, Jim Carrey for 24 hours had to tell the truth as a lawyer. Pretty funny. If you think about it, I'm not trying to be extreme here, but how much do we have to compromise? How much do we suck it up? How many times do we allow the world and our selfishness, and even Satan himself to demolish us and derail us because we must travel in this kingdom of lies. Or there's another kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. Are you willing to switch kingdoms? Because that means he's Lord. He's Lord of everything. As talented and as gifted as a leadership in this church, and boy, we have phenomenal foundational leadership here, we won't go anywhere if he is not Lord. That's the whole premise. That's the whole idea of a church. If not, you know, call us something else. Obedience. That means I'm obedient exclusively to him. I'm always being bumped off the track. So are you. But my ultimate goal and desire is to be obedient like Christ. I want to be like him. Todd gave a message on the rabbi. Do you remember that one? The first way we come to the rabbi and we say, I want to come to you and I choose you exclusively as my rabbi. That is Old New Testament leadership. Then the second part is I want to be just like the rabbi in every way. And then finally, I'm going to go. I'm going to be with that rabbi so much so that he will take me with his love and his devotion to other people. I'm not just here passing through the world. I'm here to impact the world for Christ. (laughs) Now, that takes obedience, reverence, devotion. Will... You, will I follow the greatest leader? Would you pray with me? Lord, we're thankful that you have laid it out. It really sounds so simple, and frankly, in your kingdom it is. Nothing complicated here, but um, the power to obey, the power to Uh, reverence you and the power to be devoted to you is not in our human capacity. 
to have you be Lord is so foreign to us that we have to admit, uh, can't do it. And that is the bottom line, even of the Beatitudes. We can't. We find out that we are sinners, that we're desperately wicked, and uh, it's written on our heart. So if I think I'm good enough, uh, the world tells me I am, I think I have to come to the the bottom line to say, there's no way you could be Lord if I've got enough goodness to be Lord myself. So maybe we can go on and fool ourselves, and maybe some people are here that want to do that, but I'm sure there are some people here today that would like to make you Lord. So if you are here today, as you sit in this comfortable chair and seat, and you would like to have Christ be your leader, would you in the quiet of your heart say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to fill me. In the same breath, I say thank you for doing that based upon your finished work, not on anything I have done to get any credit on my own. So Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, and we want to. I want to leave this place, but I want to follow you. And as I come to you by faith, not presumption, I I walk in you by faith. I pray and we pray that this church would allow you to lead in every way, utilizing the skills and giftedness of all the people you've provided. And that means all the people. Every person in the pew here today was not intended to be a pew sitter, but uh, to use their gifts and skills to your credit, to make you Lord out of which we are called to obedience, we are called to reverence you and devotion, which is increasingly difficult in a very um, controversial world. But it takes guts, it takes courage, it takes strength. And Lord, you promised to deliver that to us if we would simply say, Lord, I need you today and thank you that you are there. In every area of our life, uh, uh, would you, Lord, transform us? You are the potter, and we are the clay. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord let his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and send you in his peace, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. If you'd like to pray with us, we're going to be up here. And uh, have a safe weekend. Hug a vet.